0: Oh my god. That song, every time I hear that fucking like riff. Yeah. It's so melancholy. It is. But and it's it just warm. Like, I know, and it just kind of like plays the heartstrings. Like it's one of those songs that is very much just nostalgic. I know they designed it to be, like, nostalgic and lullabyish, but I also watched this, like, back in 2006, 2007, so it just kind of takes me back.
1: Oh, that's nice. Nice little yeah. piece of nostalgia.
0: Which I was, um... <laughs> every time I, we say something that kind of dates us, I feel it's the opposite of when people normally are like, ah, oh, <laughs> I guess that dates us, and it's yeah. like, oh, we're so old. Yeah. Every time we say something that dates us, it's... No, we were we're, were we're young as hell.
1: I don't know, though. I think, like, I, I don't know. I feel like we've reached the point where, like...
0: Are we middle of the pack? Yeah,
1: like, 19-year-olds and, you know, or 18- and 19-year-olds will be like, you motherfuckers are old. Like, you know?
0: Yeah. Because,
1: like, it's 2020.
0: So, so. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I I say that because um, this movie resonates on a certain level because when I watched it, I was the age of the main character.
1: Oh, that's so. I'm so jealous. I cannot believe I didn't get to see this until now.
0: Yeah. Hulk, try, You drank Ian. Adam,
1: you drank Ian. You like, you like purple, right? I am. Um, yeah. No! That's not why baseball! How are we supposed to know that hipsters are so
0: skater dive ability to speak does not make you intelligent <laughs> welcome back to frames and fools I am Henri
1: and I'm Dylan and this is the movie podcast for me and Henry two longtime friends talk about movies as you probably assumed if you're tuning in to this one uh, and this week we watched...
0: What do we watch? What do we watch? We watched Pan's Labyrinth from 2006. I almost forgot how to say 2006.
1: <laughs> Directed uh, by
0: Guillermo del Toro.
1: Oh, uh, man. What a sweet man. He's such a sweet, sweet man. Beautiful, sweet, sweet man. He has similar uh, Bong Joon-ho vibes. Both of them are sweet men. They seem like...
0: Sweet fucking geniuses. <laughs> yeah. like, sweet so, nice men. <laughs> they seem really nice and kind and like they love what they do. Yeah. And they're also just fucking incredible at yeah. their job. I
1: aspire to be them. They're so yeah. sweet. Um, anyway, <laughs> before we get anyway. into the movie, uh, we like to do a little thing here called Movie Moments where me and Henry tell you about a moment in our life or th- in the past week that felt like a movie... Uh, Henry, you got something for us to kick kick it off?
0: Kind of. It's kind of a, I don't know if esoteric is the right word, probably not, but it Mm -hmm. feels right. Um, it's kind of an odd example. I've been doing like a more regular, like bedtime routine where I do like push-ups and I, you know, do all the things I need to do, brush my teeth, all that stuff. Um, good stuff. Got myself a pull-up bar. Uh, pull-ups are ridiculously hard, Mm -hmm. but I'm working on it. And I started doing, like, a little 10-minute uh, bedtime yoga thingy. Nice. And I haven't done that in, like, three years, doing yoga. And the combination of all of those things, I, I had this moment last night, and I was, I'm was i trying to remember what it was, but I was like, oh, yeah, in my head I was thinking, I was like, all right, exercise, yoga, and doing the Marie Kondo tidying thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Getting your life together.
0: In in my life, well, it feels <laughs> like the most spiritual activities I've engaged in. Does that make sense? What? Like I'm not a I'm not a religious person, but um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it just was nice, and it, I don't know. I had this moment where I was like, ah, yes, that's what nice. You know, being in touch with yourself, and I don't know, doing something that's good for the soul kind of feels like yeah. I, and that extends to, like, good food and good company, too. But, like, just for, like, self-practice. You feel practice, clean. Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't know. It just felt like a step in the right direction. I'm looking forward to kind of keeping it doing up. that more often and keeping it up. Yeah, exactly. And not in, like, a I have to do this way, but in a, you know, it brings goodness into my life. So I'm mm-hmm. going to keep doing it kind of way.
1: Yeah. I, mine's kind of similar. Uh, after a year and a half of living in my apartment, I finally bought a dresser and <laughs> really <laughs> rounds my, ro- my room out, it makes it look nice and clean. Ties it all and, together. Uh, it really does tie it all together. So there's just kind of this corner of my room that was like, had a lamp, but kind of ended up with me just like putting stuff over there because it was kind of empty. Um, but then I got a dresser a couple days ago and put it there. And it's just nice. It feels nice. My room feels nice. You That's know, fun. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I didn't get a dresser, but I I did this past Thursday completely upend my room and yeah. clean it from top to bottom and reorganize. And it's the same feeling of it like it feels so good. It's such. a I good just feeling. I don't know. I yeah. I feel like a human being again because I was looking <laughs> around and it wasn't dirty, but it was like. Cluttered piles of things and stuff in places for no reason other than that's where it landed when it got put in here. And
1: yeah, yeah. it was also that day was the like first and only fall day in LA that I we've had in like you know since last fall. It was like Mm. 70 degrees and the wind was blowing, (laughs) chilly, it was so nice. It was like the not even chilly, but it was just like the perfect weather to have the window open. And to like clean your room, you know, when the the weather's nice and the wind's blowing in, and it's just like fresh, and you're just like, mm, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, great suggestion. Yeah. Uh thank you. I'd never seen it before. Stupid me. Everyone is always no. like, You gotta watch Pan's Labyrinth, you gotta watch Pan's Labyrinth. And I was always like, Yeah, I know. And for some reason, I thought it was really scary because everyone was always like, man, that movie just, just destroyed me. It was rough. And I was like, is it that disturbing? Like, is it that scary? Because I remember seeing the creatures and being like, it yeah. looks like it could be pretty disturbing. Um, but but it's you're watching it at
0: it. 25 and yeah. in 2020. Right? I could With imagine being a child. Seen. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I kind of alluded to it in the beginning, but I'll I'll say it again. I was the same age as the main character when I saw this back in, it was probably 2007. Yeah. Because this came out in late 2006, and I did not watch it in the theater. Um, But I was that age. I was like 11, 12. That's awesome. And it was, at that point, the most disturbing thing I'd seen in my life. Wow. Um, That's awesome. rattled me. That is awesome. Um, and it wasn't even so much the monsters although that was horrifying i think and we'll get into it but um captain vidal
1: oh my god is dude
0: so scary and so effectively evil yeah. that the way they built him up that's what disturbed me that's what really got me was like this guy that's willing to do anything and kind of in this like really calm way that was really eerie like the bottle smashing scene was Mm -hmm. I I remember looking at the screen and I couldn't look away because I was just fucking horrified.
1: Yeah, I I thought to myself when I was watching this, I think this might be the best villain I've ever seen on screen. Yeah. Ever. Because like...
0: It's in my top five.
1: He's so despicable and... I just. But also
0: believable. Yes, it's also, not this like, like you, you you get it caricature You're like,
1: yeah. of a fascist. It's like mm-hmm. like I read a, a review <clears throat> online from somebody on Letterbox that said like this is the most accurate like portrayal of like a fascist or fascism I've ever seen, and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, this is like the dude's a psycho, and it, it makes the ending. And the scene where uh, I'm going to say Mercedes because I'm not going to try to pronounce it the way it's supposed to be pronounced. Mercedes. I'm not going to. I'm just going to say Mercedes. Just say, just say Mercedes. Mercedes. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, whenever when she stabs him, it makes that scene so incredibly satisfying. Triumphant. It's sa- yeah, so yeah. incredible. Like I was like like in my living room. I was like,
0: yeah. <laughs> I
1: was like, yeah. yes, <laughs> stab that motherfucker. Um Yeah. And then when she like runs away and when she runs away and gets surrounded by the horses and then mm. the like the rebels show up and shoot 'em, I was like I had my fists in the air, like in my living room, like, yes. <laughs> thank God she didn't yeah. die. It was awesome. It really took me and, for a ride.
0: And it's a testament to the writing that the movie so elegantly builds on itself so that feels that way right yeah like we've seen plenty of things where bad guys get theirs and we've seen plenty of movies where you know Mm. we don't want the the main character to get hurt or to Mm -hmm. die and then they don't and you're excited but this yeah i mean the fact that we see the rebel get tortured to death oh the fact that that we see him shoot the doctor the fact that we see him kill other people it I all just, builds to this point where then when Mercedes is there, you think, "Oh no,
1: that's, she's gonna, that's just yeah, what's going to happen." Done. Yeah, and
0: then she's even like, she's like, I'm not a wounded man or an old doctor. Like, yeah. fuck you." And the whole thing about like, you never saw me as a threat because I'm a woman, and uh-huh. that's the kind of person you are that you just didn't even didn't even consider me. Which, yeah. I love that. Like I love that the tactical disadvantage that this fucking psychopath has is that at his core, he's just a shitty person who yeah. underestimates people because he thinks he's better than them. So even though he's, you know, still a probably a brilliant tactician and still, you know, a good He's a general captain. Or whatever or, captain yeah. yeah, whatever the fuck he is. He still has that fatal flaw of he just thinks he's better than people.
1: Yeah. My favorite moment with the captain, I guess, uh when he kills the doctor that mm-hmm. is my favorite moment in the whole movie because of the way that either that actor or Guillermo del Toro directed him to die and yeah. he shoots him and then it takes him this second he takes his glasses off and he's just like i'm going to die like it's this yeah. really beautiful it's really sad but it's this really beautiful moment and mm-hmm. you just don't expect it cuz when people get shot in movies like <gasps> You know, and then they like fall down, and this was so delicate. And I think it encompasses the whole movie. I think the whole movie is so um, uh, soft and delicate, even though it deals with really violent stuff, you know.
0: And you're right, death is presented in different ways in this. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. some people die violently. A lot of times it's the evil characters die in very abrupt ways like yeah. when the cavalrymen just get shot off their horses They're and it's fucked. like yeah. massive gunshot noises and they go fucking flying yeah and then you have good characters with i mean the notable exception being the farmers mm-hmm. um, but um you're right several times even when Ophelia just gets shot and oh my god she for a second like doesn't <laughs> react right it's those things too yeah cause you're like oh um, fuck but the part with that captain i have a whole bit about that because fuck man and it it taps into i think sort of like the ethos that this is trying to push in terms of fascism and in terms of like standing up against what you know is wrong i think well that's obviously
1: Um, the theme the theme is like totally stand up for what's good you know you'll you'll get what you want eventually and yeah
0: and that's the funny thing is like i have it written down that good goes punished you know like the whole yeah. thing about no good deed goes unpunished like yeah. it's true like good very much gets punished in this uh-huh. but it still matters to the people that stand up for it mm-hmm. um when the captain comes back and he's like what the fuck you killed that guy i wanted to torture him more he's like um, bitch, I don't, i'm not a and,
1: piece of shit
0: <laughs> You're yeah and the doctor literally tells him he says quote to obey like that for the sake of obeying without questioning only people like you can do that captain yeah And then yeah, you're right. He walks away and just calmly just he gets shot and he knows like that's it, but he can't do it. He's not gonna do it. And I I wanna be that like I wanna be like him. I think you see this guy die, like you want to think that you're gonna stand up calmly to this sort of like threat. Oh man.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think the
0: doctor plot got me.
1: Is there any like bad guy in cinema that is as effective as as the captain. Who do you think oh, uh, stands sure. up to them?
0: I, I, I think there are. I think there definitely are. Um, but this is just so comprehensively sketched out. Because um, I think you're right. A lot of times bad guys get... They turn sort of into evil caricatures. Um, Man, I wish I had like a really good prepared list of like notable no, bad No, I was guys, just wondering if but... like,
1: if, if he made you think of anyone that in any other mm. movies that he could be related to, but, um, yeah, he's just such a good I mean, bad guy. we were
0: just watching, uh, Miyazaki and I think, I think Miyazaki plays more with nuance. Like Captain Vidal is evil. Mm-hmm. He's a bad guy yeah, and he needs to be stopped. And we were just watching, um, Princess Mononoke, um, notably which it's all sorts of shades of gray yeah that's like nobody's
1: bad nobody's good it's just kind of like shit happens
0: and just in terms (laughs) of uh effective villainy i think that really um that does a lot for me um but in terms of characters that are definitely evil but it's not just in a emperor palpatine way because i love star wars but like
1: so one-dimensional that's
0: it's so one-dimensional, and it's mm-hmm. so, you know, black and white. And, you know, Darth Vader obviously is thrown in there as, like, can someone be reconciled or redeemed? Like, it's that whole thing. But yeah. at its core, it's just, you know... Good, eh, good guys, <laughs> bad guys. Ultimate yeah. power, and, you yeah. know, the whole thing. Totally, totally. So this one really does stand out because it's so... Oof.
1: Yeah. I mean, he does the work. Guillermo does the work, and to that point, um, he's famous for compiling like huge books of notes and drawings of his mm-hmm. ideas before turning them into movies um, yeah and something it's something he regards as like the process uh, and mm-hmm. he left apparently he left years worth of notes of oh, the movie in the back of a cab and when he discovered them missing he thought it was just like over he thought like that's done man like that's all my oh, yeah. shit like it's you over ever left anything
0: in a cab before i that's left that's what it feels like yes i left it i've <laughs> left a very
1: important like. notebook at like a store and it, it sucked um but the cab driver found it and was like these are important so he tracked the guy he tracked him down and uh and gave them to him which was very nice Write
0: your uh your name and your number and your important shit folks because yeah. most people are good
1: i mean that's the thing though is like I think you can tell I mean he also like gave up his entire salary and like any sort of money to make this and I think you can tell how much care and like and passion went into it like it really mm-hmm. is like I mean you could say that any of his movies are his best movies but like you feel it in this like this is yeah. like you feel the passion through the movie, like you see him put himself in his art, which is, mm-hmm. to me, a sign of a great like filmmaker. Whatever you watch, if you can not necessarily see them in it, but you see that they put themselves in it, you know, uh, I think is just a it's yeah, it's incredible. Um,
0: yeah, and and even in the way that just looking at it on screen, you can instantly tell it's a Del Toro film, um, speaks to the fact that he has this overarching vision. And I even look to see if he's got, you know, a specific production designer that he always works with. And that's not really true. Um, he worked with a few people on this, Oh man, my notes are all over the place, but, um, Oh, uh, they actually won the Oscar for production design for this movie. Of course. Um, And he worked with, I believe there's Spanish uh, artists. uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Eugenio Caballero and Pilar Revuelta. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he did a few more Spanish projects with them, but his style, the Del Toro style definitely comes from what you were talking about. Those notebooks, those years of Mm -hmm. obsession and creativity that he sort of compiles and pulls upon with everything he does.
1: It's a wealth of knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. and I think about this a lot with, like, my own work and just in general is, like, you can't really make... I've been thinking about this phrase. I don't even know where I... It's a pretty ri- normal phrase for, like, writing, but, like, uh, good writers read because, you, like, you have yeah. to read to write or watch to direct and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, And with them, you can see, ev- like, just so much knowledge of, like, fairy tales and and lore and monsters and fantasy and like you know and and able to to make these things you really do have to have that kind of knowledge because you can't just like Mm -hmm. willy-nilly throw some bullshit up there and expect people to like resonate with it you know
0: yeah well and similarly I mean obviously they work together on the two Hellboy movies that bookended this that Mm -hmm. came before and after yeah but Mike Mignola who uh, he plays the wrote child and uh
1: murderer, right? The creepy what? child eater. Oh no, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. Sorry, I'm thinking of Doug, Doug Jones. Jones or whatever. Well
0: no, but you're you're correct. <laughs> yeah. Doug Jones was also in both Hellboy movies yeah. as well as okay. this as the Pale Man and The Fawn, but um Mike Mignola, who created and, you know, wrote uh illustrated Hellboy for yeah. almost the entire run, similar thing, you can tell just from the uh stories that he writes that he' loves horror and he loves yeah. uh, fairy tales and he loves myth and folklore Yeah, and peppers it through his world. And it feels so good and so um, developed because yeah, it's, it's the exact same thing. Like he, yeah. you know, relies on a world, literal world full of stories yeah, to make his feel lived in. That's and what awesome. like,
1: I've been like being, been drawn a lot to like, lore and and myths and horror and stuff like that recently and uh kind of based off the movie i'm a question kind of like popped into my head about like and we've talked about this a little bit before on another episode but like at what point uh does like living in your own fantasies become bad like at what point is it constructive and at what point is it like detrimental to like Mm -hmm. you as a human being you know, because, like, yeah. I, I see somebody like Del Toro who just, like, lives in these worlds with monsters, and he's almost like a child, right? Like, yeah, he's like a child, but for me, it feels like there's, once you start uh, creating something back into the world, it feels almost like, you know, you've not overcome being a child or grown up, but you've processed and now you're giving back in mm-hmm. a in a weird way. Yeah. What do you think about that? Does that like.
0: I think in Del Toro's case specifically, um, you have somebody who somehow balances all of those things, right? Has this childlike sense of wonder that they never give up. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wish I'd done a bit more background on Del Toro because in the past I knew a lot more about him because mm-hmm. I love the guy. Yeah. But um, he. You know, I mean, he has an entire house that he fills with props and memorabilia, both from his movies and other things. Like, he literally does exactly what when you're a kid, you're like, when I grow up, I'm going to make all the things I want to make and I'm going to have a whole house for all my cool things and I'm going to invite friends over. Yeah. He does that. Yeah. He, you know, and he shares that knowledge and this collection with basically anyone he comes in contact with. He's like, oh, yeah, meet me at my cool house. Yeah. I'm going to show you all my cool stuff. Exactly, and you look at his body of work and the things he's done, and I think he's one of the best examples of a director who becomes a household name, uses that power wisely, and, I mean, if we're talking about all the jobs that movies creates, how many tens of thousands of people's lives has he touched specifically that got to work on Mm -hmm. super cool shit with, like, a driving a positive driving force behind it. Yeah. So he's managed to both maintain that childlike sense of wonder and all the good things about being childlike, Mm -hmm. combining them with real world savvy where he's, you know, actually managed to output. it. Yeah. Like you said, put something into the world and bring people up with him um, to do that. And at every step of the way, not, and I don't think you really hear about him being like a micromanager. I think he, Finds Mm -hmm. the right people to work with and still manages to imbue all of his Mm -hmm. content with the Del Toro feeling, which is so cool. Like, well, it down to, yeah, obviously the creatures and things, right? That's a thing that most people remember about him, but the sets and like Captain Vidal's room, Mm -hmm. it's an old mill, right? So it's got all these big gears because that's where you know they do the whole thing, but it's meant to look like his clock. It's meant to look like his broken, yeah, yeah. Um, his watch yeah. that uh, he carries around, and it's supposed to represent his troubled mind, right? Yeah. Or um, Ophelia's bathroom with the circular um, oh, windows. those windows are is so cool. Be... Yeah. So yeah. she's got different shape motifs that pop up that are meant to say different things about her character, yeah. and like reference the moon and things like that. Um, there are fawns everywhere, literally everywhere in this yeah. movie. It's like on the banisters. Um, on the headboard, um, the mother, like the headboard, which is also a fawn, Mm -hmm. looks like fallopian tubes. So there's these ideas of (laughs) exactly like of the womb and pregnancy and motherhood and it's just so so intertwined. And so it does build on that, like folklore sense of symbolism. That's like not necessarily subtle, yeah, but that's its whole point. Yeah. And it's, it's just like that, just to, to bring it back to Del Toro, the fact that he finds that so important. And you can look at something else that people might say is less artsy. Hellboy, same damn thing. Like, well, he, um, he,
1: he knows the details, you know? Exactly. Like, I guess the reason I asked that is because I recently, uh, Alan Moore, the guy who created uh, Watchmen, kind of yeah. said some shit about uh, like superheroes and how it's kind of like, um, making, like, grown adults, like, just children who don't really grow out of a sense of childlike brain, essentially. Um, so I thought watching this and Guillermo del Toro would be an interesting, like... I, I guess at what, you know, I, I've already asked, at what point does it become, you know, I'm still a child and I don't want to face, like, yeah. my, like, being an adult and my responsibilities, um, and I think he's a good example I don't, I don't know him personally obviously, but i I think he's a good example mm. of somebody who you're still still able to consume childlike things while having the mm. responsibility of an adult to actually output instead of mm. just consuming 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 you know mm. um but yeah, I don't know that that just well, came to the, my mind the in choice this movie, especially with the kids totally, yeah yeah
0: and i w- I'd love to do honestly, we should do a bonus episode talking about Alan Moore's remarks and just Watchmen and superheroes, because I feel like you and I could just do a little bit of research, do some pre, you know, pre-recording uh, stuff and then really go at it. But I think another aspect too is he sets, Del Toro sets several of his films in periods of history that are just ripe for examination. Like mm-hmm. this is set during the Spanish civil war Yeah, um, where, you know, the fascists were running shit for a while and just, just placing it there asks so many questions that creating a, you know, tale esque horror movie at any other point in history, it it ends up saying something, right? Like, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying something about like how different wars sort of have a effect on the story you're telling. Oh, I was watching a video on YouTube about, um, Iraq war films mm-hmm. and whether or not that has emerged as a new genre, the same way there are like world War two films. Yeah. Vietnam. Exactly. We don't yeah. really get many Korean war movies, but no. typically they have a flavor to them. And then there's subsections of those flavors based on when they came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously we have plenty of world war two movies back during and immediately following world war two mm-hmm. that had that sense of optimism, that sense of like, we're great and America's awesome. And yeah. this is like, this was a just thing. Yeah. And like desperately trying to frame it as absolute good versus absolute evil instead of yeah, pretty much absolute evil versus a still like not super great story about superpowers and yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah, 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 Vietnam war. They tend to be anti-war movies. They yeah. tend to be kind of hopeless and kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Um, And then you see this odd resurgence in the 90s. It's not odd. It makes sense. But this resurgence in the 90s of going back to World War II because we're fighting wars in this desert and desert storm that we don't necessarily understand. They're not just. They're just confusing. So there's this return with Spielberg and several others who they wanted to go back to like the wars of their fathers that made sense Mm -hmm. and felt just. Yeah. Um, And then we're kind of seeing this return back to a war movie. But instead, it's focusing on the soldiers. And they even made the specific note that it's about – is a total tangent. I'm sorry. No, but, keep – I'm um,
1: interested, man. Keep
0: they made about. the the specific um, observation that all the war movies you see now tend, that are set in the modern day, almost to a single one, are about specialists. They're about soldiers uh, that go over yeah. because they're no longer wars that – People were drafted into so World War II movies. You see someone they're like, "I'm a school teacher," and yeah. they, you know, they're. It's very personal, and it's yeah. like you know, going off to fight Let's the war follow to the like
1: psychopaths who want to do this
0: kind of. So, well, so, <laughs> but that's that's kind of what it ends up looking like is following snipers, following special ops, following these different people, and it's it also feeds back into this like um, you know warrior mindset and this like trained. You know, like yeah. we know what we're doing and it's this focus on individual competency to cover up for the fact that we're over there for spurious reasons and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. This is such a long no, off topic tangent talking. about war. It's fine. It, it, I guess it has my to point is this. totally my point is the era you set something in says something about you as a creator. It says it's going to have implications for the film as a whole. Um, and it's going to tap into this, like, wellspring of feeling and sentiment and, um, you know, in some ways, education. Um, I don't think many people, especially in America, know anything about the Spanish Civil War. No, I didn't. That's um, why this
1: is so fascinating to me. It's like, I, yeah, it's, it, it kind of blends us to, like, worlds, obviously, like, war movie and, like, fantasy movies. So you kind of get mm-hmm. the best of, of both of them. Because, like, honestly, if somebody would have told me, uh, it's a movie about uh like a fascist and his like bullshit during the Spanish Civil War. I'd kind of be like, yeah, don't like that this, war movies aren't really my thing, but the fact that this is marketed as like Pan's Labyrinth and it's got the creatures and like the the mm-hmm. incredible imagination that's really only like what, 5 scenes in the whole movie? Like there's really not a whole lot of it. Mm-hmm that you know it's just kind of a little bait and switch to get you in there yeah. and then once you're in there it's like oh this isn't really about the monsters the monsters are incredible like yeah the monsters are incredible but it's it's never really about the monsters you
0: know well so let's talk about the, the sort of fairy tale aspects and the you know the sort of uh monster world and those sorts of things um yeah we never really gave like a summary of the movie but essentially Um, This 11, 12, 11 or 12-year-old girl named Ophelia, 11-year-old then, um, shows up with her very, very pregnant mother, Carmen, and she has married the super evil Captain Vidal, who is at this outpost in a somewhat rural town, I surmise. We don't Mm -hmm. really see the town, but rural area where there are um, guerrilla resistance fighters in the woods and basically Vidal has been sent to hunt them down and she shows up and almost immediately runs into what she recognizes immediately as a fairy. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks like a really freaky stick bug, but um, Uh, so she kind of, Oh, what'd you got?
1: Well, uh, that moment uh, when the stick bug shows up and there's at one point she says to the stick bug, this is what a fairy looks like. And then it turns itself into that fairy. Is such a, I think it's a really cool device that he uses to immediately tell the audience this is in her imagination without doing the like, oh, the adults don't see it, which they do at one point at the end. But that device to me, when I saw it, was like, oh, that's a bug. She just told it what a fairy's supposed to look like, and it changed into a fairy. For me, that was like, this isn't this isn't her imagination. She's a child.
0: Th- you read you know? it that way,
1: yeah, yeah, and or fairies can turn into whatever. I think that's cool, but like, yeah, that's what it said to me, like immediately. I
0: I am kicking myself for not writing it down, but I'm pretty sure Del Toro he made it so that the whole thing's ambiguous. Right, you can watch this whole movie not knowing if it's in um, Ophelia's head or not, and when it comes down to it, it kind of doesn't matter. No, right? yeah, that's not the point, um,
1: obviously. Yeah.
0: But I think when pressed on it at one point in an interview, he's like, yeah, it's all real. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, right? Which is, which is interesting, right? Because everything can kind of be explained away. You have a couple freaky moments, like she opens up the book and um, the pages just get covered in blood and she goes out and her mom is – yeah, bleeding massively. Mm-hmm. So you think, holy shit! And then later, her mom throws the uh, mandrake root in the fire, and it starts screaming. screaming. Yeah. And then the mom freaks out. Yeah. But she's heavily pregnant, super stressed out. Like all yeah. of these things can be explained away realistically. Well, I mean, if it's but not then real. Other stuff. She gets out of a locked room with the piece of chalk. Yeah. There's a couple things like that that the movie flows past it. Intentionally quickly enough that you don't, and it doesn't matter, right? Because they're being yeah, attacked, the and thing. so much is happening that I don't
1: even care. Like I, I honestly, like yes, exactly. the only reason I brought up that exactly. moment is because I thought it, it was kind of a clever thing. If that was the intention, mm-hmm. to kind of be like, oh, she's a child. Like th- this, I is, think. Yeah, know? I think the whole thing is yeah.
0: ambiguity, and I think the fact that, um, and I, I love fairy stories for this reason. You, you look at Hellboy, and it's a lot of the same thing. There's this, and you see it in um, the Hellboy movies, there's this fairy world, right? There's this yeah. world of creatures and beings that is being lost and is fading away because their time is passing. Right. And humans are sort of taking over and pushing out magic as they expand, yeah. which is beautiful and tragic. And I, I love it every time it happens. Yeah. Um, and part of that is like, when you see the fairy, it's in a form that if a human saw it, they'd be like, Whoa, big bug. And then move yeah. on with their life. Yeah, but a exactly. child, a, a child whose innocence is still somewhat intact, sees it and is like, "Oh, it's a fairy." Yeah, of course. And responds to that. So you yeah. know, this Fawn isn't going to talk to Mercedes and be like, "Hey, I need you to do something for me," because Mercedes would be like, "Holy, Holy shit, shit!" You know. The but a kid's plug. gonna go, yeah. "Oh yeah, okay." Got like you. you, you, you just roll with shit when you're a kid because you have that sort of yeah sense of wonder and sense of uh that sort of thing but i think that's the brilliance of it is there's a real fucking war going on people are dying people are getting tortured and that's the push pull of this movie that you have this plot line of the resistance fighters and the doctor and mercedes like passing supplies to them and basically being spies Mm -hmm. and there's so much tension with that there's so much tension with the mother's pregnancy and then the thing that you're sort of pulled into the movie because they're like, oh, it's a it's a movie about a girl and monsters and she's a princess and there's an underworld. Yeah, That's like, it's a major plot, right? But it's not but the, it, yeah. Once it gets going, it feels like a subplot, which it is. is beautiful. Yeah, it is a subplot. You know?
1: And uh, something that somebody said online that I kind of, I don't disagree with, but the way that they said it was a little negative. They kind of said that, the monsters are treated very, um, uh, not haphazardly, but not grandiose. They're not like, look at these monsters. When she first sees the fawn, he's just like, and like just shows up. And she's like, oh, hey, fawn, what's up? And she's, he's like, hey, dude. And like, it's not this like huge moment of this incredible creature being born out of the side of a wall. It's just like, she walked down there, but and this, yeah, this dude <laughs> just showed up. He was like goat yeah. guy, you know, and he's incredible. the 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 effects I couldn't tell. There were some times where I couldn't tell if it was like CGI or practical or like a mixture mm-hmm. of both of them because it was so fluid. Like the mm-hmm. ears moved so well. Everything about it was so yeah. incredible, and the the sound design for his legs whenever he moves those like. Mm-hmm. Tree. His hooves, Ugh, like it's so... cracking
0: in the bark and all the different textures. <sighs> yeah. I... So yeah. that was the the wonderful, wonderful Doug Jones mm-hmm. um, acting in that costume, which was prosthetic and entirely practical. That's incredible. incredible. Um, the only thing they did digitally was remove his legs. So he's got those fawn legs that sort of, mm-hmm. there's a word for it, I can't remember, but they double back, right? Sort of like a horse's back legs. Yeah. Um, and he was on lifts and his leg, basically, if you look at the way his leg makes a V, mm-hmm. his leg came straight down, obviously, cause he's a human being yep. <laughs> and had, had a green sock over it. So they just digitally erased his shins. Legs.
1: Yeah. Or and, his shins. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He operated the mouth. He actually learned Spanish. He learned all of his lines That's and learned so Spanish rad. and performed the lines. Yeah. They dubbed it over later because they wanted a different vibe, mm-hmm. but Shouts out to him. He fucking learned Spanish. He didn't have to. He could have just learned his lines by rote. But he had so much time when he was doing the prosthetics uh-huh. that he actually learned Spanish because he wanted to really so feel rad. the lines. That's I know. So cool. Um so he operated the mouth, but Puppeteers um operated his eyes and his ears, which were animatronic.
1: Wow. It's really yeah. something. And yeah. it, it it adds so much to the fantastical element of it. Cause like mm-hmm. I hate to, you know, bang this drum again, but, like, when I see kind of CGI creatures, it's kind of hard to get into it. Uh, and I think that's what's so great about Del Toro is it's it's not this uh, big, grand, childlike wonder with his creatures. They're very, like, real and, like, grounded yeah. creatures that you would they're scary like they're the fucking baby Mm -hmm. eater is terrifying but like it's so imaginative and like that when you're a kid and you're imagining shit that it's terrifying like you imagine some pretty Mm -hmm. fucking terrifying shit (laughs) you know it's not this like you know beautiful shiny fairies and like fun like lion dudes it's creepy shit
0: (laughs) and it's yeah and it's it's dangerous i yeah I I really think – I just have written – I appreciate frightening children's content. Me too. Um, I think there's really something to be said for – Scaring
1: the shit you know, out of children?
0: S- kind of. Yeah, because I feel like <laughs> at its root, a lot of fairy tales, a lot of things in the past – and this could be totally apocryphal at this point, but I think a lot of stories were just – hey, you see that forest over there? Don't fucking and in, go there. Yeah, don't fucking go there. Because in an adult's mind, they're like, you're going to get lost because you're dumb. Yeah. Two, you're going to get eaten by a fucking wolf. Yeah. So in their minds, they're like... scare
1: the shit out of
0: you. Yeah, I, I know I can tell you not to go in there, but you're a child and I'm a parent. So if I tell you to not do that, you're going to do that. Yeah. So instead, right before bed, I'm going to tell you about the Baba Yaga and Scary like... As fucking ...fucking... Yeah. yeah, like deathless bears that yeah. live... And want just they, and like weird things like oh they don't want to kill you but they want your toes mm-hmm. you know like yeah, weird shit cool. like that like I think they eat like kids ears and if you go in there like they they'll steal you your ears. ears you're like oh my god I don't want to lose yeah. my ears but that fear and that like primal sense of like and it's also kind of tied into there's so much you know whether it's the Bible or whether it's whatever else just ah there's another there's a really good word for it but explaining things with stories basically Mm -hmm. saying, Oh, thunder. This is how thunder came to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's a specific word for, um, explaining phenomena with stories and saying, Oh, I can tell you how rainbows happened. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so so that combined with fairy tales, like it's, it is kind of fear based and it is dark and it's scary because the world is dark and scary. So having, childlike scenes where stuff is scary and kids bravely go oh hello mm-hmm. and deal with it and stand up to it which in the end she does you know the fawn is like give me the baby and yeah. she's yeah, like yeah. fuck no, no. Dude, what
1: the hell? <laughs> well that's what i think like i i may have said this before but i think the key to a good children's movie is to scare the shit out of them at one point because... At one point, yeah. Because all the movies that I remember as a kid and I still are beloved to this day scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Like, yeah. there was a scene that was terrifying. Like, And I, I know Lord of the Rings isn't a kid's movie, but I remember watching that as a child and when mm-hmm. Bilbo, like, fuck, freaks the fuck <laughs> out, and, yeah, and his yeah. little teeth come out, I was terrified like, that legitimately oh, yeah. terrified me as a child. Or the
0: dead marshes scene. I can I can yeah. list all of the scenes that scared the fuck out. Even Galadriel going yeah, bonkers going for a nuts. second. Yeah, Yeah, that scared the shit out Haunted my dreams.
1: But I think those, weirdly enough, they cement this part of your brain. And it's not afraid to... It's kind of like a, a Mr. Rogers thing in, like, a weird way. It's not afraid to talk to children as if they're competent beings, right? It's not afraid yeah. to talk to them and say, there's scary shit. I'm, it's just not gonna, I'm, it's not gonna be like somebody getting their head chopped off. It's gonna be this scary creature so that you can learn how to deal with fear and like overcoming obstacles and stuff, you know? Yeah. Which is very much this movie, her overcoming obstacles and and like, yeah. and overcoming Well, and fear. there's a
0: way to read this movie that we've kind of implied. There's a way to read this movie as a child in incredibly depressing circumstances, depressing and hostile circumstances, right? Her father, her biological father died. Yeah. Her mom remarried, which is, you know, trauma enough. Like yeah. that's, to that's enough psycho. trauma for most stories, yeah. you know, like that's before you even meet the new dad, that's most Disney movies, you know, yeah. you lose a parent and you're like,
1: go, oh. go to, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Cause it's a lot. Um, and then to make matters worse. Yeah. You're in a fascist regime. Um, your stepdad, is the epitome of that. You have to move to a new place. Yeah. There's no other children. Friends, yeah. There's not a single other child yeah. in this whole thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, it um, so yeah, you end up making friends with, you know, the people who take care of you and everything's like that. And the rest of the time, you go out and you run in the woods and you find Something. old scary labyrinths that descend into the ground so and cool. you make your own fun and you do different yeah. things.
1: Well, it's also escaping. I think I think totally. there's a sense of escapism here, where yes, you can also see. I think you can correlate her uh, the the fairy tale aspects to specifically mm-hmm. the real world events too, and how mm-hmm. like bad they are and stuff. Especially with, like the mandrake is the most obvious one, of like the moment that dies, she is like, having the baby and gonna die, you know. Yeah. And I think each you know fantasy element correlates to something that's going on in the story, which talks about her obviously being like, I mean, we're all doing it right now. The world is fucking hard to deal with. We may be doing it too much, but we're all doing it where it's like, this is, I can't deal with this right now. I need to go think about a fantasy story or whatever.
0: And we're in our mid-20s. We're not 11. We're not children, yeah. Try to remember as well what it was like when you were 11 and the world is happening around you. And, you know, it's one of those things too that you have to remember where Especially if you've never lived anywhere during wartime, like nowhere that, you know, violent action is taking place around you. Uh-huh. Um, I think and this is me speaking from other people's accounts, not my own. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of fear, but it's also like life goes on and you just have to live and you kind of have to take it all in stride and you know, horrifying things happen, mm. but you're also dealing with being eleven. You're also dealing with growing up and yeah all of a sudden like hitting puberty and being hormonal and like mm-hmm. trying to deal with life's questions and to boot your dad's dead yeah your mom's super pregnant your stepdad's evil <laughs> Fucking you're psych- in the countryside okay. there's yeah. no other kids so it's so much that and and credit to the movie that is the character right it's the background mm-hmm. you don't have ophelia saying all that out loud
1: Mm-mm. yeah
0: you don't have her going Oh, like my dad's dead and I'm sad, or oh, this, that, and the other. Like, she mentions a couple times to, where yeah. she's like, she's not my dad. He's not my you dad. know. He's not my dad." Yeah, he's not my dad. And then there's a couple times where she's hanging out with her mom and they kind of talk about different things, and her mom's got a couple really good quotes. Um, but yeah, she, you know, it, it happens through the action and it happens through the choices and the obstacles, which Mm -hmm. is always the way to go. Yeah. Viewers are smart and they get it. They'll infer all of this. Mm -hmm. So to the, to the point you were saying where some people are like, Oh, it's not grandiose when the monsters show up fucking good. Like when she shows up and there's, you know, in the fawn, which by the way is not the mythological um, figure of Pan, Um, Pan's labyrinth. Was chosen as the English title because they thought that people would respond better to having a specific mythological figure in the title. Oh, um, really? Yeah. This so the Spanish um, title is just uh, the Labyrinth of the Fawn, or like Labyrinth. the Fawn's Labyrinth. The
1: Fawn's Labyrinth. oh, Okay. Yeah,
0: but then in English they were like, "No, we need to we need to make it recognizable, as if like everyone and their mothers like, oh yeah, Pan." So it is. The it does Fawn's ring off Labyrinth, the tongue,
1: though, right? pan yeah he's not pan he's they never say pan he's not pan who's pan no
0: No one that's the thing that character is the fawn pan has nothing to do with this because pan in what is it greek mythology Uh is like this deity that represents like sexuality and like a bunch of other things that have nothing to do with the story so it's a bit of a weird not mixed metaphor but mixed signaling because okay, so it's not
1: he okay so in the movie he's not known as pan but because it yes. was named pan he is technically pan because it no. is the fawn's labyrinth no but that's what this says that's what panslabyrinth.fandom.com says it says <laughs> what? What? <laughs> it says the the mystic fawn Elfano, the fawn yes. also known as pan is a creature no. that well, why is the fandom this is the wick, this is like the definitive wiki. It's forum. incorrect.
0: So but he all I'm it's it's much simpler. All I'm saying is this is what it boils down to. It's the labyrinth of the fawn.
1: I the fawn I is
0: he is a fawn. That fawn. The fawn, a fawn, whatever. That fawn yes. though, right? Yeah. Yeah. That that fawn is the fawn, and that's the labyrinth of the fawn because the yes. fawn was placed at this labyrinth because yes. they opened up portals all over the world to make yeah. sure they could bring the princess back, la la la. Yeah. The only reason Pan comes into I, okay, it at all.
1: I'm aware of this.
0: The only reason I know is this. because when they translated the title into English, marketing executives were like, we need to add, it can't just be the fawn's labyrinth. We have to make it like accessible so let's just call it pan's labyrinth
1: i understand that
0: and that's where it ends
1: i know but here this is what i'm saying because (laughs) that happened because Uh those marketing people said it it needs to have a name so let's just call it pan's labyrinth Mm -hmm. the movie is the fawn's labyrinth so therefore Mm -hmm. even if del toro says it's not because some marketing dickheads said it's Pan's Labyrinth, that Fawn now is Pan. Not officially, but he's kind of Pan. Because if it is the Fawn's Labyrinth talking about him and those people said it's Pan's yeah, Labyrinth.
0: No, I get I get what you're saying. You're saying because they renamed it, that transfers over the meaning. Yeah. But no, not at all. But it does. Pan, <laughs> no, Pan is attached to a on like a like the I, Surface world Greek mythology and represents things that have nothing but to do with the story, what I'm including about. sexuality. I'm saying
1: his name, not like Pan They as never a creature. say Pan. I know they, they never don't say, say it. it. That's not and what he's I'm saying. Not pan. I know they don't say it in the movie, but because the marketing people <laughs> called this guy Pan, he technically, for a lot of people, is Pan. He's not officially, wrong. but they, but because it's there and it's real, it is. It's there. That's, okay. I,
0: you, no, you are right. Like I know in, that in it's fact, not Del Toro's choice way, and it's not his I thing. <laughs> but to further cement the fact that it was strictly just a marketing thing, Del Toro himself yeah. was um very disappointed in The Devil's Backbone yes. subtitles. Hated them. So he yes, so he took it upon himself for this one to do the translation and do the writing himself to make yeah. sure that it flowed well. Spent a lot of time doing it too.
1: I'm reading, sorry, this still is still never called Pan. But I am reading some 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 answers here. Somebody, I'm, I'm I'm like a we can cut this out, but I'm on like a wiki thing that says <laughs>
0: Let's leave it in. Uh, no, it's fun. <laughs>
1: who was who was the Pan in Pan's Labyrinth? In Spanish Fan is Fano, uh, why did the English version insist on calling it fan? Um, and according to Guillermo del Toro, the use of the word pan in the non-Spanish versions was a translation issue. It's not just the English version that makes the mistake. Since he wrote his own subtitles, it was del Toro himself that chose to use the word pan, but he's also admitted the name is not accurate. He likely chose pan because uh, he is the most well-known fawn-like creature in classic mythology, but the fawn is not pan. That, that, that doesn't make... Like, I get it. But when you tie it I, but together... What you,
0: but what are you stumbling on? It's a mistranslation but, that's imperfect, and he knows it is, but he chose it because I'm, it would make yes. it more accessible.
1: But the he doesn't name is, the
0: character that. That's the that's the thing, right? The
1: thing that I'm stumbling on is yeah. it's called The Fawn's Labyrinth, right? That's the correct yes. translation. It is uh-huh. that guy's labyrinth, right? Yes, that guy's labyrinth we agree on in this in english yeah, it's... yes but in english they call it pan's labyrinth to allude mm-hmm. to the Fawn's labyrinth yes. i know yes. that he is technically not pan but when you yeah. read it like that he yeah. is kind of pan
0: yes. yes No, we're we we are on this page we've been on this He's page not we officially are officially entirely
1: He's just yeah, kind of what, Pan. That guy could also be known as Pan in the fandom people, world.
0: Yeah. No, people refer to him as Pan. If somebody says Pan, I'm not going to be the dick that's like, who? Like, that's I get it. That I know. I, that's all I'm That's all that I'm saying. I, no, I get it. <laughs> all I was saying, all I'm saying with this is that it was due to a translation thing yes. where whether it was him, it, which we know it was, whether it was him or marketing, they chose yeah. to make it Pan because they're not going to call him Mister Tumnus, right? No, like that'd they're going to pick, yeah, yeah, like they're going to pick the most famous fawn yeah. most other people know, which is going to be this mythological figure with a bunch of baggage and shit yeah. that has nothing to do with this character.
1: Yeah, yeah, all I, but I, yeah. The the confusion here is that I I think it's okay to refer to him as Pan, even though
0: if he's you not want Pan. to, if you want to, totally. All I'm saying is the most accurate way to refer to the fawn is just to say. The fawn.
1: Yeah, I know that. I'm fully aware of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Yeah, but what it, what you were saying was that it's the fawn. He's not Pan. Let's not call him Pan, when you kind of could if, call him Pan.
0: No, if you want to call him Pan, like I, I'm sorry if it came off as me like trying to no, set a I, rule. I, I'm
1: not saying that. I just, all
0: all I'm saying, I I literally only brought it up because it's called Pan's Labyrinth, the title of the movie, the thing everyone him. knows about yeah. it. But it's not pan. It's just a fun little fact that yeah. because it was written in Spanish and yeah. translated, it's one of those fun little quirks of yeah. marketing and titling that mm-hmm. it ends up, you know, adding connotations and adding mm-hmm. potential mythology. Because yeah. people talk about the mythical aspects of this movie and try to ascertain some sort of truth from it. Yeah. And people bring that into it. People bring in, oh, it's pan, therefore, it's blah, like, therefore, blah. Yeah, and they totally jump into not. it. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's a road in the woods that you were never supposed to go on. That's what I'm saying is like, basically like it's such a well-crafted, elegant movie. And then because of a small but huge choice that they made to call the movie Pan's Labyrinth adds this whole other thing. And look, I'm not going to be the fucking like pedantist who's like, oh, it's not Pan. Like if, (laughs) if I'm in conversation with (laughs) someone and... Like, and I don't know them that well. And they're like, oh yeah. And then Pan does this. I'm, you know, I'm I'm the kind of Star Wars fan that like won't correct people on things because I don't want to be that fan. Yeah. All I'm saying is like in this, it's really funny that the title of the movie, especially considering people come into this. It's a great title. Sounds awesome. (laughs) Phonetically better than the Fawn's Labyrinth. Yeah. Definitely. Um it's kind of like you were saying where people come into this going, Oh, it's this Del Toro movie. It's going to have these monsters. It's going to be about this labyrinth and pan and all these things. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's kind of this bait and switch where it's more about, you know, like fairy tales and like Ophelia and like, Mm -hmm. you know, war and all these Mm -hmm. different things. Yeah. And it's just very funny to me that sort of, it was on purpose because they chose to do it, but they accidentally create this total dead end. They accidentally named this guy. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. yeah, they accidentally bring even more attention to a character that once you watch it, ends up being like a minor major figure, you know, like shows up and is like, I need you to do some things for me, but it doesn't, you know, it really doesn't, it's so good. I (laughs) I can't remember which Spanish actor they got to do it, but it's great. And I feel kind of bad that Doug Jones got dubbed over because- in the uh, the 2004 Hellboy the first one they got David Hyde Pierce mm-hmm. to dub over Doug Jones <laughs> although he keeps getting kudos to David Hyde Pierce he saw how much work Doug Jones put in and refused to take credit for the movie so Ooh. even though he's the voice in the first Hellboy oh that guy he said oh, yeah cool. David Hyde Pierce was like no like don't he's the guy don't put my name on it yeah. he did all of the work and then in the second one Doug Jones was the voice
1: oh that's nice isn't it? Yeah, he kept getting Darth vader and finally got his day.
0: Totally. It is the anti-Darth <laughs> Vader story where it's like justice in the end. Like there was, you know. Yeah. I uh, love that.
1: I have a question. Um, yeah. In the scene where they're at dinner and uh, they're those two fucking psycho twin ladies uh, who look like complete assholes um, and the wife is trying to tell the story of how they met what was the insinuation there? Because I got that he was being an asshole, but it seemed like there was some insinuation with the twins. Like, oh, that's weird that you guys ran into each other again. Like, Is no, that like a? It's it's. What the fuck was that?
0: No, it's it's less about the implications that they were making. It's more that they were just curious. I mean, it's every time you meet a couple, and one of the first things that you know, eventually happens as you're like, so how'd you two meet? It's literally just the, so how'd you two meet? And Carmen, this like lovely woman starts kind of telling the story. And then the captain being an asshole. And even though everyone's chivalrous and they all, they all rise chivalrously out of their chairs when she leaves. And there's this sort of like veneer of respect and like, Oh yes, women they're, you know, they're wonderful. Um, It
1: just felt like the two twin ladies were being very, like, dismissive and insinuatory about something when they were talking. So I was like, what are they trying to say here? I get that he's an asshole and he's just kind of being a dick. Yeah. And I think, but like,
0: I think what I'm saying is their, their role in that scene was in service of showing another shitty side of the captain. Um, and you can also read into a bit as she's a tailor's wife and there's kind of this maybe implication of like, oh, you know, he used to make all of my uniforms and now I'm, you know, married to his widow. Yeah. So there's potentially an implication of an affair, but I think it's much more about they start having a lovely conversation about how'd you two meet? And she's kind of telling them, How's it going? And the captain literally says, quote, please forgive my wife. She isn't my used wife's to company. Dumb. She thinks her silly stories interest us all. After the this two women so basically were like, how'd you meet? And the wife is like, yeah. funny you should ask. Uh, it's actually a yeah. lovely little story. And then the captain's so like, weird. shut the fuck up.
1: It just felt so weird because those two twin ladies acted weird too, hearing it. And I was like, why are they being weird? This guy's the asshole. Yeah. They're being really fucking weird also. <laughs>
0: It, it could be classism as well. Um, that dinner scene, yeah. particularly, um, the, uh, the priests or the bishop or whatever Fucking church asshole, rank he was. Man. Yeah. Ugh, um, he had one that line. Scene, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's an important line. So that whole dinner scene was meant to speak to, um, the, you know, the fascist state and to speak to sort of that atmosphere. Right. Yeah. Um, as far as the women go, I think that kind of speaks to a little bit of like the classism that was there. Like she's a, you know, Taylor's widow. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're kind of fascinated by her just as this outsider, like, Ooh, like what's the story? Is it, is it salacious? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have the priests line written down, but it has to do with um, basically um, God's got your soul covered. Your bodies don't matter which in the movie refers to the rebels and yeah. it's him saying, the rebels aren't oh, people. Yeah. yeah. Kill the shit out of them. Yeah. Like, don't worry about God. Like as God's representative, I mm. I'm doing the, like crossing yourself benediction thing where it's like, you yeah. do, you do you fam. Like yeah. kill them all. Kill them all. Fuck um, them. yeah. In real life, a, a priest or a bishop or whatever the fuck church rank, um, told soldiers in that, in that civil war, basically, Go out and, like, die for your country. Like, God's got your soul covered. Don't worry about your body. It's basically like, you're expendable. Go do what we tell you to. And it was Guillermo del Toro's way of very, very verbally placing a lot of the blame on the church at the time for going along with this fascist regime and not only not saying something, but going along with it and giving them spiritual justification, which... Yeah. In a religious country is a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Totally nuts. So that, that dinner conversation as well. It's like we said, you don't see kids, you see the townspeople lining up at one point to get their rations, but we never go really into town. We never really see the world outside, which is fine. Um, but that dinner scene is kind of meant to show us the world beyond this compound and a little bit Of of, you know, Franco's Spain, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Their bread and everything. Um, the my favorite, other than the moment with the doctor getting killed, uh the the baby eaten dude is I think my favorite like fantasy sequence in the whole thing. It's so good, and so pale man. the pale it's man. It's very self contained. It's awesome. Yeah, it's so simple. I think, but it's so effective.
0: Yeah. It explains its rules. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's it's. You're right. It's very like fantastical and it's very its own thing he shows up and is like you have this hourglass here are the steaks yeah uh you have this dope piece of chalk that can just draw, draw doors, doors. <laughs> um don't eat the food you're like "Ooh, that's mythological yeah um and yeah basically go do this thing get this key yeah you're like great perfect yeah. sounds awesome easy peasy she f- yeah flips the thing opens the door the set is gorgeous yeah um i love that goes when in they, there
1: he she sees the guy and he's creepy as fuck and there's the eyeballs yeah. and the thing you're like he's creepy oh, yeah. and then they pan up and they show those paintings of him killing oh, and eating God. children and you're like oh shit
0: <laughs> did you hear what they did in the soundtrack during that point
1: uh there's like there's screams and stuff right like the screams baby screams of, yeah, the yeah children
0: <laughs> yeah as if Fucking it wasn't wild. freaky enough there's like infants like screaming um yeah. so, so much um, and she picks up the plate with the eyeballs and is like ooh <laughs>
1: <laughs> apparently when uh when this premiered Guillermo del Toro was sitting next to or close to Stephen King um and he like f- like flinched or like moved in his seat he, he when he put the eyeballs in his hands yeah yeah <laughs> and he was Guillermo del Toro was like yo that's all i've done it I just made Stephen yeah. King, Yeah, like, well, He said something like, that squirm. was the proudest
0: moment of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn. That's, That's funny.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, I love that scene. Probably just because it's the most disturbing and that creature is yeah. so incredible. Well,
0: and her, you know, I, I think this movie does something really, and this kind of, again, ties into when the fawn shows up and she's not that phased. Mm-hmm. Um And people are like, you know, at least that one person's like, oh, like it should have been more grandiose. But it's like, no, this has that flavor of like you read old myths and things and someone sees these horrifying monsters. Yeah. And it's not they don't have a reaction shot in those. It's not like Mm -hmm. Perseus was horrified, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's always like Perseus took out his sword and fucking got to work.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no. And
0: that's what happens with Ophelia. She gets into these situations and. You're like, okay, it's pretty simple. You go in, you get the fucking key, get out, don't eat anything, boom. But she goes in and she looks over and you're like, oh, those grapes do look pretty bomb. I love
1: that they set up that she didn't eat dinner. They set that up of like, no dinner for you because you fucked your dress up. And the moment she looked at it, the second time I watched it, there was some magical tingles. And I was like, okay, there's some magical tingles. It's probably like, it smells good. Yeah, but when she looked at it, I was like, she didn't eat dinner. Because her mom told her she would get to eat dinner, and she's sitting there looking at these grapes like, yeah. "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah.
0: I didn't think about that. I mean, I've always wondered. Like, I love that scene, and I chalked the, her decision to Magic. fuck it all up just to smell. Well, I didn't even think about it that hard, but I, I chalked it up to you know, like that's what happens in myths because then you get a dope chase scene and yeah. fairies get bitten in half and it's horrifying. Yeah. So why not? Like, of course, that's the more interesting choice, yeah. but. I did not even notice. I've seen this so many times. Did not notice that it happened after she didn't get dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You're right that, like, it's a magical feast. Like, it's a feast on a table that's meant to be a temptation. That's
1: the point. Yeah. Of course it's going to reach out to her. And there's... Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Thank you. And I love
1: when he starts tapping his fingers, too. Oh. It's so
0: good. And the musical cue when the hands, like, twitch off of the table. Mm Mm-hmm. Is so disturbing it's really good. and so again, Doug Jones Killed it. killing it. Yeah, killing it.
1: Um, do you have any oh, more little man. bits to to get out before we move on?
0: I I could yeah I can run through a couple things. Um, they refer to uh, Carmen's condition early on in the movie as sick with baby, and <laughs> that is the only way I'm going to refer to pregnancy from now sick on. Sick with baby. Sick with baby. Um, I love the gossipy cooks in the kitchen. They're great. Um, yeah. Not that like gender roles are a dope thing, but I love in They're old cool. movies set yeah. <laughs> in the past where and I've kind of had this confirmed. I had a few friends who um went to various countries on like trips abroad and things like that. Mm-hmm. And in certain places it's still the case that like the kitchen is very much This weird dungeon. Like a woman's well, but a woman's domain. Like it's it's not a oh, great yeah. system, but in that system it's like A a woman can be like, no, don't touch anything. Get the fuck out of my kitchen. Whatever I say and here's like my thing. So you've got these like cooks that even though they're under this terrifying, Mm -hmm. you know, fascist captain in this terrible like time in history, they have fun (laughs) and they gossip and like they work all day cutting up stuff. But you can't go in there. Like you never see the captain in the kitchen because he's probably scared shitless of him. Don't fuck. Um, There's so much awesome foreshadowing throughout this. Um, like the statue with the carving that's got the young girl with the baby in her arms. Yeah. And Ophelia looks at it and is like, huh, that's, um, <laughs> that's funky. I wonder what that means. Um, having, you know, a young female protagonist going on quests for mythical creatures feels very Miyazaki, which I think taps it's into similar yeah. vibes. I I kind of put this movie in the same on the same shelf as movies that just have something to them mm-hmm. that just feel really good. And a lot of it's that it's so, mythology, I, creatures, I, quests, yeah. young, brave protagonists that are like learning something about themselves. Yeah. And Scary I know. Scary shit. I, you know? I know
1: I said this at the beginning, but even though this movie is pretty grim, uh, it mm-hmm. still feels like a really goddamn warm hug. And I, I'm not quite sure how he pulled that off. But with (laughs) considering
0: it's about what it's about,
1: how, yeah, like awful and all the 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 murders are bad and the creatures are Mm -hmm. creepy. Uh, And it's probably the score, too. But like when I watched it first, I was like, that was fun. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then I was actually excited to watch it again today. which Very rarely happens with movies when we do this. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just feels like a big warm hug. Even though it's about shitty stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, you have, I mean, obviously we've been dropping spoilers left and right, but at the end, she gets shot. She dies. And I was like... Either she's dead or she goes and, you know, takes her place on the throne along with her, you know, tailor father and the mother. And they're there. And the fawn turns out, good guy the whole time. It was just Just a test. test. So you get your cake and you eat it too, which is great. Yeah. Um.
1: That's what I thought. I, there's
0: a quote from this. I can't remember who said it. I think it's the mom, but uh, it's the world is a cruel place and you will learn that even if it hurts. Yeah. Which is like,
1: yeah, of you course. have
0: this character who's, you know, trying to, it's not even like they're trying to maintain their innocence. I think, you know, that's the beauty of this is the themes aren't thrust upon Ophelia. She just lives her life and does her thing. and you see the story with her through her. Yeah. It's great. Um I think that's a little bit of why this feels so good is it's not smacking you in the face with stuff. It's letting a beautifully written story happen. And because it's just well thought out, it ends up meaning a lot of shit.
1: Yeah. And I love um, the end like speaking of the end to round it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh the second most satisfying like scene or third most satisfying thing is when he fucking takes, the captain takes his fucking watch out, which they allude to earlier, and he's like, mm-hmm. uh, make sure my son, and she's like, bitch, nobody is gonna know who you are, and shoots him in the yeah. face.
0: <laughs> yeah. they so take good. all the power away from him. Yeah. Like, step by step, they, they kill his men. Yeah. They blow up his ammunition stores. They set fire to his fortress, and then at the very end, all he has left is his stupid fucking pride that he carries with him the whole movie. Yeah. And... And that's the the other thing I wanted to say about this is there's a way to depict villainy in movies. Um, And we've talked about the Joker and we've talked about uh, what was the other one? Even somebody like Patrick Bateman. Characters in movies that are evil and super memorable because of good scenes and good Mm. writing. um, That people kind of latch on to. And because they're cool and memorable, they kind of go, ooh, I like that. And whether or not they misinterpret it, there's a bit of focus on that. Vidal is, like we said, one of the greatest villains on film. Um, and he's got those scenes, like the torture scene where he basically tells the guy with a stutter, if you can count to three, it's I'll a let you go. poor bastard, man. I know. Poor guy. But it's such a memorable scene, right? Like it's such a weird thing to say, oh, what a great scene because it's really fucked up but it illustrates how evil he is. It adds a new depth of villainy to him, which at this point in the movie, you didn't think he could get worse. And then he pulls that shit and you're like, Oh great. Torture. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's unfortunate,
0: but it's stuff like that, that like, that's, it's really, uh, it's subtle, but it's, it's clever. And even things, um, little stuff. Um, is there an editing word for when you have something almost happen and then not. And it builds up tension. And then it still ends up happening. My, my example is. Just cut away from she's... the
1: leg. Brink.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'll finish what I'm saying. And then we'll talk about that because I wanted to ask you something. Um, so in this movie, there's a couple times where. Uh, so she takes the sleeping drops and she spikes his drink towards the end of the movie. Uh-huh. And she's hiding in the room and he goes to drink it. And he doesn't for a second. and your heart drops because you think oh shit it's classic and then yeah classic and then it's it's i don't i don't even know what i like it's a fake out there's no word for it it's a fake out it's a fake out that ends up happening right yeah where you get a two for one where he still drinks it and it still adds that element but for a second you get the drama of oh shit he's not gonna drink it yeah and I love that shit. Yeah, I love shit. it. I love it. I love it. It's so it's compelling. It costs nothing. It yeah. adds drama. Please, if you're making art, do that shit. Cause it's so great. Um, the violence. Yes. This movie doesn't cut away. This movie well, focuses... Del
1: Toro doesn't really cut away. He just kind of true goes for it. He loves yeah, his gore. I, I,
0: he, he loves his gore. He yeah. loves that shit. Um, and I mean, we've been watching movies, um, and I'm going to sort of speak into the future a little bit but we watched two movies back to back that have violence in them and the episodes are going to come out later but we um we spoke a lot about violence on screen and when to cut away at a brutal moment and when to stay or when to have a door, you know, swing shut in front of a scene and when to allude to something um yeah i think this movie very much I, th- I think yeah the, the saw in the leg that you were talking about there's I feel like you that's see one a of the little more, bit of it You're like, oh. it's one of the more minor ones where yeah you see it dig it's in really and if you went though. frame by frame he gets like two inches into that leg but it it cuts versus you also see him Bash just him. flatten a dude's face with a bottle of wine well, and I think it, it has to do cements I cements th- him as an evil character It seems right? like
1: he's very selective with the, the violence that he does show. Um, mm. because, like, cutting away from the dude losing his leg, uh, you already feel sympathy for that guy. You don't need to be grossed out by it or anything else, right? True, like, true. You true. already feel sympathy for the guy. The stuff of, like, him smacking that dude's head in and mm-hmm. the, like, him shooting dudes in the head to make sure they're dead, that stuff, yeah. it, it just portrays him as a worse dude. Um, and then, I'm you know, there's some violence that's just, like, fun gore, like the the flat man or whatever uh eating those those fairies heads you know that's just creepy mm-hmm. like that's just monster stuff it's creepy stuff. it's great yeah and it's just it, like it good monster, monster stuff yeah so I assume he's just selective about it
0: that's a good way of looking at it yeah
1: I mean that's what's, so what you should do if you're directing a film is unless it's a gore fest right like if you're just having a gore fest mm-hmm. go to town but if you have yeah. stuff with violence you should be selective about it on whether you know there should be a question of should I show this or not You know, Mm -hmm. is it effective showing more of it or is it, uh, does it not help my point? You know, what's the intention Mm -hmm. behind it? Yeah. Um,
0: other little elegant things. I remembered another one of the small things that was building tension and it's one of those like free things you can do. Um, not revealing which resistance fighter that they caught in the woods and implying for about a minute and a half, two minutes that it could be her brother. brother. Yeah incredibly tense and again it's free like just do it do shit like that as much as you can and ratchet it up because then you still get oh no they might have caught the brother and then oh fuck they caught the guy with the stutter and then they exploit that to make for memorable terrifying scenes um yeah
1: um you get one last thing one last thing
0: yeah yeah okay um the little details like the lock being unlocked rather than broken um yeah. which tips him off or finding the antibiotic um vial yeah and putting two and two together and having like these elements of like oh shit sort of mystery and like
1: yeah
0: little things that are heartbreaking cuz you're like ah damn it like just all you had to do was blow up the lock and then he wouldn't know that there'd be a spy that kind of yeah. shit it's classic spy delicious. stuff classic delicious classic spy it's stuff. it's so good Yeah. it's, it's Again, it's free. Like just well, you know, it's like but,
1: it's not free. <laughs> it's, well, it's hard not that to it's do. free, but it's like hard to pull off I know, but, right?
0: but having having your character look at a unbroken lock and that leads to him capturing someone as opposed to, you know, I don't know, some convoluted thing. Whatever. It's yeah, yeah, it's elegant. Yeah, yeah. That's all I mean.
1: Um oh, there's let's so do much some frames real quick before we this. get onto our fool. Uh we oh, like fuck. to pick our favorite yeah. frames from the movie. Um you want to go first or you want me to go first? You go first. Um, I picked two. The first one is like the opening shot of the labyrinth, and she's standing below the arc with the moon, and it's just like so I think it's honestly just like the tie, like the cover of all the DVDs and stuff. It's just like such a perfect shot. Um and then mm. I picked the shot of what is it? the pale man is that the pale guy yeah the freaky dude yeah when he puts his eyes up to his face for the first time i kind of just want to make you draw that guy
0: (laughs) yeah i could could see that
1: so i'm gonna pick a creepy flat dude and his fucking eyeballs and his hand eyes
0: That's, that's the classic
1: yeah go good choice
0: um Shockingly, I only have one. There's so many frames worthy of this, but I, I saw a frame pretty early on, and I just knew it's the one. Um, I think it's the first time Ophelia opens up the book that she gets in the bathroom with the uh, three circular windows. Mm-hmm. And it's just this beautiful shot of her holding this beautiful, massive book, sunlight pouring in. Uh-huh. It's great. That's it's just nice. Great.
1: Yeah. I remember yeah. that one. Um kind
0: of epitomizes the the tone of the movie. It's it's warm. There's, mm-hmm. you know yeah. storybook, literally.
1: Literally. Let's talk about our fool of the week. We like to pick a character that embodies the spirit of the film. Um oh boy. I feel like this one might be kind of hard. I mean, yeah. I personally I think my favorite character was uh Mercedes. Mercedes. I thought she was the best. Yeah, She is so cool and so brave and so, like, I want to be hugged. Like, if I was a child, I would want her to hug me. Because, like, every time she hugged Ophelia, you're just like, oh, she looks so nice. (laughs) She looks so nice.
0: And, like, she's already, you know, dealing with being a spy and her brother being at risk and on the run. And she's dealing with so much... And on top of that she's like oh but I'm also just going to be a, a nice lovely mentor to this kid I and make know. sure she's doing all right cuz she doesn't have any friends.
1: Yeah and her mom's dying and her dad is a piece of yeah, shit right. like <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's my nomination.
0: I I feel that. I mean, I think there's a a case to be made for Vidal in a in a weird twist oh, yeah. just because he's so compelling. So I mean, good. like you said he's one of the best villains I think I've ever seen. He's so memorable. He's kind of the really dark engine that drives that half of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I mean, especially right now, I think I really resonated with all of the characters who were resisting. And the, the two that we know the best are obviously the doctor and Mercedes. So, and as much as I love the doctor and his final scene is so tragic and just your heart swells, but, um, yeah, I think it's Mercedes. Shout out to, um, you know, the main girl. Um yeah. we haven't used any yeah. of the actors', the actors names, names no. other than Doug Jones this whole time. No. Um, but she's uh, so Mercedes good. is played by Maribel Verdú. Hopefully, I'm saying all these right. Um yeah, she's so Ophelia good. was played by Ivana Bacaro, who, like I said, is our age and is just gorgeous. Like yeah. I was smitten with her when we you were, were a eleven. Child? And I'm, I'm, I'm smitten with her now. Like I looked her <laughs> up I'm like, oh yeah. Of course you grew up and you actually look like a princess. Um, um all of them do. That's the funny thing. All of these people, outside of their, you know, Spanish Civil War costumes look great. Like they all cool. look awesome. Even uh uh Yvonne. oh my god, Masihue. Masa Masi Masague, I'm so sorry. The guy with the stutter. He's got this cool little goatee, and he just looks badass. Like, yeah, it's yeah. all great.
1: I mean, um, the girl or the girl who played Ophelia is she's really good. Uh, I just personally resonated with Mercedes so much more. Totally, yeah. And I thought she she's just so good. I just mm-hmm. she's my favorite part of the whole movie, especially because she shoots yeah. him in the face at the end too. She's like. Well, her brother. Or her brother. Me in the face. Sorry, she says the cool mm-hmm. line, and then her
0: brother. Yeah, she says the, the awesome line, about yeah. he's not gonna. Nobody's no. gonna like, remember like, you, bitch. Fuck you and your pride. Like that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to a movie with a child actor that is really good. Quite good. Yeah. Because <laughs> we've been
1: watching lots of ones with kid actors who are good. Hard, hard to job. pull off. Yeah, I yeah. know.
0: Yeah, we've we've kind of been on a roll with that. Um, yeah. Well. We will be Future on a roll us. with it. Yeah, Future Us has been on a roll with that.
1: Yeah. But... Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. Holy cow.
1: Awesome. That was great. Uh thank you for suggesting that movie. It was of course. a blast. And I just want to watch all of them now. I'm, all of his movies.
0: Yeah. I'm only sad that we can't watch some of these together. Cause some of these I could care less, you know, like we, we watch them on our own and we come together and talk about it. Yeah. And then there's movies like this where I suggest it and <laughs> I almost wanted to call you up and be like Let's watch this one together. Like let's do yeah, it. You know? I, but
1: movies like this, I this may sound kind of lame, but I prefer to watch them either by myself or in a movie theater because mm-hmm. I don't want anyone talking to me. I'm one of those people that like when I watch a movie for the first time, if it's mm-hmm. not like a fun movie, I just don't talk to me. I'm Totally I, feel I, you. Oh yeah. I'm just like Well, and also I need with the to subtitles. My god. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't focus.
0: This one's an easy one, though. This one, I feel like.
1: I felt it was kind of a bummer for me because the creatures were so awesome that I wanted Mm. to look at them, but I had to keep reading the subtitles and I felt Mm. like I kept missing all the details of the creatures because I kept having to go up and down, you know? And it's so dark. You know what we should do? so dark.
0: Whenever we're able to actually hang out in person again, we should watch this without subtitles.
1: That'd be fun. Yeah.
0: We should watch this with the commentary. Once, oh, and we yeah. should also watch it, watch it with the without subtitles.
1: Yeah, I need to. I want to watch more commentaries. It sounds great.
0: I've got this on at least DVD, if not Blu-ray.
1: Great, let's do it. Yeah. And with that, that's the end of our episode today. Uh, I'd like to. i would like to thank you for listening, and to check out our Instagram that Henry's uh, beautiful drawings are on of our frames and our fool. Make sure to uh, give us a subscribe and a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You'll a little ding will pop up when we have a new episode, and it's super helpful for us. Uh, And we're you know everywhere where podcasts are and whatnot. Um, And next week we are watching. What are we watching next week? A part of the spooky frames and fools stuff. Um, I think we're watching. What week is it? We're watching Blood Rage next week. Blood Rage, we yes. We're going in a Blood totally Rage. different direction. We're doing uh, a B-movie called Blood Rage from the 80s. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a lot of joking, a lot of laughing. It's going to be a party. Hell yeah. So uh, don't let the monsters get you.
0: <laughs> and if a fawn asks you <laughs> to do tasks, um, you know, just tread tread lightly.
1: All right, fools! <sighs> all right, fools! We'll see you later.
0: All right, all right, fool army. <laughs> fool oh army. God.
1: <laughs>
0: Jeez, let's get out of here.